right. So, Frank, tell us a little bit about uh, how you got started in in the uh, finishing industry. I know that you actually you didn't go to college right away. I remember you telling me one time that your family really couldn't send you to college, uh, but you got a job that kind of led to a, 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 not only a career, but also a, a education, correct? Tell me about that a little bit. Yeah, I uh, I graduated from Lane Tech uh, in, uh, in Chicago and uh, was hoping to be an architect, but uh, things didn't work out too well. And my mom told me to go get a job. So I hunted around for a job, signed up with an employment agency, and they found me a job at uh, Scientific Control Laboratories, uh, owned at that time by uh, Cy Gary, Simon Peter Gary. And uh, he hired me on as a laboratory technician, and this was 1966. Oh, and uh, shortly after hiring me, um, he kind of recognized some talent there and uh, suggested I go to school at night. And I told him about my financial situation. And he said, well, I will pay 80% of your tuition and books. As long as you keep getting uh, A's and B's, I'll pay half if you get C's and you're on your own if you get worse than that. <laughs> And so um, I spent the next six years going to night school at uh, Illinois Institute of Technology and graduated in 1974 with a chemical engineering degree and uh, spent the next uh, few years at night school again, going after a master's in metallurgy, which I got in 1980. Um, and all that time, of course, I worked for scientific control labs. Right, right. And, and explain to it, it, it's, you know, what Scientific Control Labs was doing in relation to the finishing industry. What were all you doing there? Yeah, Scientific Control Labs at that time was a technical resource for uh, metal finishers, anyone that did anodizing, uh, painting, uh, uh, black oxide, any kind of metal finishing that was done in the Chicago or the Midwest area. Uh, we would provide analytical services, uh, analyze the solutions. Uh, we would do quality control tests on the finished products themselves. Uh, so I learned how to do salt spray and microscopic cross sections and how to analyze a cyanide copper plating solution without killing yourself by pipetting it by mouth, <laughs> which was <laughs> common in those days. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and uh, we also had uh, work that we did with um, uh, companies that made products uh, for the qualified products list for the military. Mm -hmm. uh, Scientific Control was one of, I believe, two laboratories that was approved uh, outside the actual uh, depots uh, that was approved to uh, test uh, aircraft cleaners, paint strippers, uh, mm -hmm. various products used on, on aircraft. Uh, to see if they met the various specifications. So mm -hmm. I learned how to conduct uh, those tests in the specs. Uh, we also um, were approved to uh, qualify uh, penetrant inspection systems, uh, the Magnaflux type products. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, uh, you know, it, it, pretty much any kind of technical resource that uh, required at that time. Um, was conducted uh, as a, a private laboratory. So the, the big boys in that time frame they had their own labs, but uh, the smaller shops uh, would use us. Gotcha, gotcha. And, you know, I know you eventually became owner of uh, a Scientific Control Lab. Um, and uh, you, you, I think there was one, you told me something about you had, uh, uh, early on you worked on a project about ECG 
electrodes, right? And uh, you kind of help revolutionize that. And then that, that would help you buy the company eventually. Yeah, the road. yeah. That uh, uh, by uh, once I got my degree, uh, uh, well, even before I got my degree, uh, short, I think it was like 1969, three years after I got hired, uh, the laboratory manager decided to move on to Apollo Metals. And uh, that left uh, the lab manager position open, which I convinced the owner to give to me, uh, even though I didn't have a degree at that time. And he just said, well, as long as you keep working towards it, you can manage the laboratory. Uh, I did get my degree in 74. And uh, shortly after that, uh, I got a phone call from a company called Monotrode. And uh, they were in the business of making uh, EKG or ECG electrodes, those things they stick on your body. Mm -hmm. And at that time, the, uh, there was a, a problem uh, generic to the, uh, the, the uh, electrodes in that if you were in the hospital and connected up to the uh, oscilloscope or whatever the unit is, if, uh, if your heart stopped, uh, they would do a defibrillation and uh, that would cause the electrodes to polarize and the, uh, the, the heartbeat wouldn't show up for as much as five or more minutes, uh, which obviously gave the doctor some, uh, their own heart attack uh, <laughs> because you can't do it a second time that might stop the heart. And if you don't do it at the right time for the second time, the person dies. Uh, so at any rate, uh, this company, Monotrode, uh, had an idea for applying a resistive coating to the electrodes, which would dissipate the charge from the defibrillator. And um, the, uh, they, they had a, a little demonstration they gave me uh, with a 9-volt battery that showed that if you put a resistive coating on the electrode, uh, the, um, the oscilloscope trace would come right back after the defibrillation. Um, but they had a problem with the coating. It didn't last very long. It, uh, it wasn't as good as they wanted it to be. And they wanted to know if I uh, would, uh, or my company, Scientific Control, would be willing to conduct research to come up with a better coating. Uh, in a nutshell, I did come up with a better coating. And uh, for the next three years, from January of 75 until roughly early 78, uh, we produced uh, the coatings on those electrodes. Mm. Uh, we also set up a silver plating line uh, because uh, our coating didn't last either uh, <laughs> because there was a, a battery set up between our coating and, and the silver uh, electrode. And um, so uh, our coating, the silver electrode that was placed on and a brass uh, connector that uh, was smashed over the coating, set up a battery which then dissolved the coating, and so we ended up having to silver plate the brass connector. Mm, okay. uh, in, a, in a nutshell, we solved the problem, and uh, from '75 to '78, oh, I think we managed an average of around a million electrodes a month. Um, <laughs> Cy Gary, the owner of my business, uh, made enough money to become partners in a standard federal savings and loan, which was a new bank they formed. Uh, and I got 4% of sales. And uh, so I used that money and convinced the uh, uh, convinced Mr. Gary to uh, let me buy into the company. And then I used the profits 
generated yearly to finish buying the company. So I started buying it in uh, 1980, and um, I um, owned 40% by 86 and 100% by 92. And then wow. I ran it from 92 until 2006 um, and uh, sold it to uh, two of my employees at that time. Gotcha. Wow, that's a pretty good American success story, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Being at the right place and working hard and being smart will pay off for you. It always seems like it does, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, sometimes I want to thank Mr. Gary. Other times when I was owner, I kind of uh, cursed him. <laughs> right. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. It's, I run across a lot of uh, finishers uh, in, in the U.S. And, you know, sometimes I'll say to them, you know, who was instrumental in your career? And, and your name comes up about 50% of the time. Wow. I, mean, I think I think it, it just it comes up repeatable. It's and I don't know if it's people that have worked with you, you know, with with your lab when you had the lab, or they took a class from you. But you you have you when did you start teaching uh, courses? Uh, uh, was it after you left uh, Scientific Control Labs or? Uh, no, no. I um, uh, when I got my master's degree, at, uh, which I was also at Illinois Institute of Technology. Um, the head of the department, Dr. Breyer, and I were kind of buddies. And uh, I went to Dr. Breyer and, and uh, said, you know, uh, you're producing metallurgists that don't know really anything about finishing metals, especially electroplating. And uh, I suggested to him mm -hmm. that um, a course be introduced at IIT on that subject. And he, he sat on it, I think, mm -hmm. for maybe a good year or two. Uh, and then gave me a call and said, yeah, let's do it. So uh, I think in the early 80s, must have been 81 or 82, I started teaching um, electroplating uh, at IIT. And I did that for six years. And we even had a lab where you had uh, the ability to electroplate. Um, uh, we had uh, copper, nickel, uh, uh, chromium plating, and we had gold plating. And... Um, you know, students could actually get hands-on experience with it. So that's how I got started. At the right. same time, I taught, uh, well, I think a, a couple of years before, like 1980, uh, I also approached uh, American Electroplater Society at that time. That's what they were mm -hmm. called. Um, and um, uh, asked if they wanted an, an instructor, and they put me on. So I've been teaching for AESF um, mm -hmm. since 1980. So been a been right. a long time 40 uh, what 42 years now 42 years yeah what, what do you what yeah long time what, what do you enjoy most about teaching uh the, the course the coursework that you've got i think what i like what i like most about teaching is uh when you talk to a group and and some light bulbs go off and they get all excited well you know we're dealing with that right now and thanks for the uh advice and once in a while you get a call back and you know that that worked and I'm so grateful and, you know, that's, that's always kind of fun, you know, seeing, mm -hmm. seeing students get excited about a subject that's really kind of dry uh, and uh, hard to relate uh, to mm -hmm. um, that, that, uh, that get, I get a kick out of that. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it seems like it's, it's always, uh, you know, somebody else has the same issue across the country somewhere and they can learn uh, from these type of things. Yeah, wow. I'll give you I'll give you a good example. I, one of my students, um, I think she still is the owner of Three uh, J's uh, mm. Industries in Chicago, uh, Joanne Moroza. Uh, she was one of my students at IIT in, you know, in the night class, and uh, 
she wanted to uh, take her father's old watch, a wristwatch, and gold plate it because it was all beat up and worn out. And oh, she was so excited when she got out of the lab and she had plated it to just a beautiful gold finish. And you get, I just got a kick out of that. Uh, another example is uh, uh, a kid named Rudy Fuse, which uh, who was, um, I think that was his name. I don't think so. His first name was Rudy. Rudy Fuse was somebody else. But at any rate, mm -hmm. uh, a grand student, uh, first name Rudy, uh, was uh, he approached me and said, hey, uh, uh, in all my classes, I gave the students a semester project and which was go find a piece of junk and refurbish <laughs> it. And uh, he said, I don't want to find a piece of junk. I want to go to a toy store and buy a chess set. And I want a silver plate one side and I want a gold plate the other, uh, a copper plate the other side. Um, and uh, he went and I think he went to Toys R Us uh, in those days, they were still in business, and, and he bought a uh, uh, a $12 chess set made out of some unknown garbage plastic, uh, which we then had the hardest time figuring out how to etch oh, it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and get it to a point where we could get some adhesion. Uh, well, we, you know, with it, with my tutoring him, it, it took him an entire semester to get one pawn. Uh, I think it was silver plated. And I loved it so much that I said, hey, um, you only got one piece done. If you're willing to work with me, I'll partner up with you over the summer. We'll get the rest of your chess set done. And I'm going to go buy the same thing. And we'll each have a chess set. So today in my <laughs> living room, I have a memento from that occasion. Uh, I have a chess set where one side is copper and the other side silver. They're both antiqued. And I use that in my uh, teaching classes to show them that, uh, you know, you can plate anything, including some trash plastic from Toys right. R Us. Even, even plastic, yes, that's true. You know, you've always advocated getting involved in the industry, giving back to the industry, the AESF and NASF and all the other ones before that. I mean, you still you still encourage a lot of people that are taking your courses to, to really get back and get involved and go to, go to events and, and, and shows and stuff and get to know other people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, there's nothing like the trade show surfing uh, for picking up the latest technology and listening to some technical papers that might reveal a new way to, you know, new direction to go or, or the latest uh, uh, finish that's out there. Uh, you, you, you can really pick up a lot of information by going to trade shows. Um, the uh, local chapter meetings are great places to meet others uh, from the industry and, and either share uh, jokes and stories or, or gain some information. Um, I, uh, I joined AESF in 1970 uh, before I got my degrees and, and uh, I was mentored by uh, a number of uh, individuals, uh, Charlie Geltzalder, uh, Weldon Crawford, Bill Crawford, who's known as uh, those two individuals, especially, would take me aside. And if I didn't, you know, if I heard something and didn't know quite what was being referred to, they would explain it to me. And uh, mm, right. um, I always had a great conversation with a lot of those people. Uh, Jimmy Blackledge at uh, Craftsman was another, right. uh, another person I got a lot of information from and camaraderie. Right. Yeah. Because in this industry, if you've got a problem, it's 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 helpful to quickly get to an answer as possible. You can. And like you mentioned before, usually somebody else has had that problem or they've been through it 
and they can right. relay that to you. And that's that's kind of the, the key with that. Um, and, and so are, you are still teaching courses, correct? You are with the yes, uh, yeah. I, I still teach uh, for ASF. Uh, I don't teach for anybody else. Um, uh, and uh, uh, lately, uh, the instructions have been all via uh, uh, you know Zoom meetings uh, on computers. We still have live uh, instruction at Surfin. Uh, mm -hmm. And um, so I'm still active in that regard. I'm the technical education director for ASF Foundation slash NASF. And as such, I, I'm in charge of all the educational materials that we use, which essentially are PowerPoint shows and PDF files that uh, students uh, get their hands on. Um, and so um, I, I, run, I run the technical end of the education. Uh, we have, uh, I think, four other instructors, uh, and you know, I communicate with them and let them know the latest changes and so on. So uh, that's right. my job as technical education director. Right. And I've done that since uh, <clears throat> roughly 1992, so about 30 years. Right. Right. Yeah. And like I said, I think it's great when, when uh, you know, shops do send their their team, their staff members to get CEF certified. Uh, it, I think it makes them, be they feel like they're a better part of the industry when they can do that. And they certainly make great contacts and that. And, and again, if they want to learn from you, the master, they probably need to get on the ball, sort of rolling for some classes. And, uh, you know, how many years more do you think you'll still be teaching with this? <laughs> I, I don't know. As you can see, the hair is gone and, uh, you know, the wrinkles <laughs> are there and, uh, I'll be 75 next year. So as long as I'm feeling good and, and challenged by it, I probably will, uh, will continue on with it. Uh, uh, but I am, uh, I am trying to ease off on the number of, uh, on-site instructions that I do because, uh, travel gets rather, uh, more troublesome, less fun when you're older. Uh, you know, when I was, uh, uh, in my forties, I'd be excited about going to Singapore and teaching there. Uh, not so much anymore. <laughs>